I'm excited. Today we're starting a brand new series talking about the born identity. Or better known as the born again identity. Amen. Man, I'm so excited. I'm, 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 something is boiling on the inside of me. I feel like I'm going to bust. Amen. So we will be talking about the born identity. And um, in the first week today, we are going to talk about the value of identity. Someone say value of identity. Next week, we're going to be talking about the process of identity. And the third week, we will still be talking about the process of identity. And then the fourth week, we will now start teaching you about how to walk in your identity. Amen. Amen. It is vitally important that the church understand and know who they are. Amen. Amen. You just have to know who you are. Knowing who you are is critical because we are in a hostile environment. Amen. And the number one thing that the devil comes after when he comes to attack you is your identity. Because he knows if you lose your, if you lose your identity, if, if a man loses their identity, if you lose your, your, your revelation and your conviction in who you are, he can take you out in many other areas. Amen. So we are going to be talking about that. And, uh, uh, we would like, uh, uh, after this series, for you to start living your life uh, uh, not on the imitation level, but you are going to be upgraded so you can start living your life on the revelation level. Wow. See, because on the imitation level, you know, when I grew up, I used to want to uh, uh, be like Michael Jordan. He was the man back in the day, you know. I wanted to be like Michael Jordan, so I would imitate the little that I saw him do in public and not his private life, which is where most of the work was done. Amen? So after this series, you're not just going to mimic and imitate your, your favorite preacher. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> you are going to know who you are in Christ and be comfortable in yourself. Amen? Amen? It's very important that we are comfortable in who we are and not be someone else. You know, I always find it difficult when people, uh, the other week I was reading and someone was attacking uh, Joel Osteen and saying, Joel, why can't you be like your father? And I was like, because Joel is not his father. You know, why, why Joel? Why can't you speak in tongues 30 minutes before you start preaching so that we know you're powerful like your father? No, I'm not my father. Amen. And, and man, I like Joel. I'm not, try, I'm not trying to put him down. I like Joel. You know, sometimes I feel I was Joel Osteen. You know, just get up on the pulpit and be happy. Love your neighbor. And everybody's going to be happy and everyone will be all right. Amen. And everybody say amen. And they all leave feeling good. Like, man, that was anointed. Amen. But guess what? I would make a terrible Joel Osteen. Amen. The same way he would make a terrible Tafara. So I have to be comfortable in who I am. But for me to do that, I have to understand and know first who I am. Who am I? Who am I? So that's why we're going to be talking about your born, your born again identity. So that you know who you are in Christ. You can say amen to that. Now, the first thing that God starts with when he wants to shift a man into uh, uh, his assignment, his purpose, his destiny, and so on and so forth, is his identity. When he created Adam, the first thing he told him was who he was. I've created you according to my image, after my likeness, and I've put on the inside of you all dominion and authority over the fish of the sea, over the crippling things and the birds of the air, and over all the earth. And he told him, this is who you are. 
And the first thing the enemy came to attack when he went uh, after Eve was his identity. Did God really say? And then he went on to say, now let me tell you, if you eat of the fruit, you are going to be like God. Now, if Adam and Eve knew who they were, they were already like God. So they were tempted with something that they were, they already were. Like some in the church, you know, uh, uh, if you send a hundred rand to us while the anointing is bubbling, God will bless you. No, Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, watch this, who has already blessed me with all spiritual blessings. So I'm not going to be tricked in those things if I know my identity. Amen? He went to Abby, Abraham, and he said, Abraham, today, from today onwards, you're no longer going to be called Abram. You're going to be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations, and all the nations will be blessed in you. And he shifted his identity first before he brought manifestation. Amen? Amen? He went to Jacob. He said, Jacob, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you are going to be a prince with power, with God, and with man. And he went to Jesus. Before Jesus began his ministry, did you know that he had to know who he was? He went to God and God revealed his identity to him. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 3, as John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus, as he came up, the heaven was rented and a, a dove came out and a voice spoke and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And from that day onwards, Jesus knew that he was God's son. He went to Peter and he said, Peter, when Peter received that revelation of who Christ was, he said, Simon, you shall no longer be known as Simon, but your identity has changed. You are now Peter. And upon this revelation of understanding who Christ is, I will build my church. And not only that, I have given you authority. And whatsoever you bind in the earth realm will be bound, and whatsoever you loose will be loosed. He went to Paul. Paul was going on his way to Damascus, struck with blindness. And as he was going, he was told to go to Damascus and meet with a man called Ananias. And Ananias was going to tell him who he was. So the first thing you need to know is your identity before you even began. Amen. Uh, amen. amen? <laughs> Just because you talk does not mean your identity is to be a preacher. Amen? <laughs> Find out what God has called you to. Man, if I was speaking and choosing, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have picked to be a pastor. I'd have probably picked to be something else nicer. Where I don't have to deal with people. Because people are crazy. I can deal with God, but I don't want to deal with God's children. Because they are crazy. I'll tell you. God's kids are crazy. But guess what? He told him, he said, go into the city and the man will tell you who you are. He will reveal your identity to you and you will begin to operate in it. He went there and Aeneas laid his hands on him and he told him, Paul, you have been called to preach the good news, the gospel to the Gentiles, to the kings and the priests and to Israel. And the scales on his face fell off. There was a revelation. Amen? Even when you're dealing in the natural, uh, when you get born again, here's one, something that's very interesting is that, you know, even the, the constitution of a country or the, you know, um, uh, home affairs in a, in, in a country, home department, whatever you call it, uh, they don't even let you 
determine your own identity. Did you know that? The kingdom you belong to. They, they can't take the risk of letting you d- determine your own identity. Because people are crazy. Some people will say, yeah, where it says male there, I want you to scratch it off and put female. <laughs> but, but chief, we know that you are a man. But I want to be a woman. So they don't even take the risk to let you determine your own identity. They will put it down for you. And keep your records safe for you. Because they know you are crazy. And it's the same thing in the kingdom of God. God doesn't even take the risk of letting you determine your own identity. You know why? Because he knows just a few. Just a few. Someone say a few. A few will dare to think more highly than themselves. The Bible calls it pride. But the most, the most, the majority in the body of Christ will dare to think themselves lower than God's description of who they are. Uh, Hallelujah! It's getting hot in here. They'll say things like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Have you ever heard it? You can go and Google it. Most churches, in fact, it's a tagline for many, many churches. We just seen are saved by grace. You won't find that in your identity card in Scripture. You are not a sinner saved by grace. You are a saint. You are born again, sanctified, washed in His blood, set apart and filled with the Holy Ghost. How can you be a sinner? You won't see the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus and say, Yeah, I'm writing to the sinners saved by grace at Ephesus. What does he say? He says, I'm writing to the saints. When he writes to the church at Corinth, he doesn't say, I'm writing to the sinners at Corinth. He says, I'm writing to the saints. And let me tell you something about the church at Corinth. It was the most sinful church ever. They were taking each other to court. There were crazy things happening in the church. But he still addressed them as saints. Because your sainthood is not determined by what you do. It is determined by what Jesus Christ did. And from that identity, you begin to live as a saint. Your lifestyle does not make you a saint. You're already a saint because of what Jesus Christ did. And from there, you live from your position of identity. Someone shout, I am a saint. Not only that, someone shout, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Did you know that? And then they write songs about, I'm just a nobody. (laughs) Have you ever heard the song? No, you can't be a nobody. When Jesus spilled all of his blood to redeem you, to make you into something. And he wasn't even rearranging furniture. Jesus destroyed the whole building and built a new one. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, all things have passed away and everything has become brand new. Everything. He didn't rearrange furniture. He destroyed the whole thing and built a new one. Last year in December, I got uh, a a very uh, interesting gift. You know, I'd never, all my life, from the time I was born to last year, I'd used Vaseline on my face. (laughs) And there was nothing wrong with it. You know, I was happy. See, how many of you know that ignorance is not bliss? 
Man, I thought Vaseline was the best thing there was out there for my face. So I got a gift, a free voucher to go and get uh, a facial. I'd never heard of anything called a facial, so I went in there, you know, they, they working on my skin and so on and so forth. And the lady started educating me. She says there are layers and layers on your skin and pigment and so on and so forth. And, and, and she started telling me that what you see uh, uh, with most people, without naming them, is... is, is <laughs> It's not skin care, it is makeup. So I said, what's the difference? She said, skin care goes into the roots and fixes the pigmentation if there's anything wrong with it. It fixes, it fixes you on the inside. And it says makeup just, you know, kind of covers up. No, Jesus did not come to just cover up. He went into the pigmentation, the DNA of who you are in your spirit. And he recreated that thing and gave you a brand new spirit. And that's your identity. Man, that's awesome. That is awesome. So the nation that you're in determine your identity because they know most, most people will, will, will put themselves and think themselves less of who. Did you know that actually thinking yourself less of who God actually say that you are is, is, is a form of pride? Did you know that it's not humility? It's actually pride. Because a lot of the times when people do that, they're looking for a reaction. They're looking for a, a response to, to, to feed their ego. You know, where I grew up, people would get up and say, uh, you know, get an opportunity to sing a song to the church. They would get up and say, hey, saints, I'm going to sing a song this morning. But if I uh, go out of key, please just say praise the Lord. <laughs> and then when they open their mouth to sing, she's like, man, is an angel in the house. This woman can sing. You know what would happen? And if, you know, I'm, all, I'm, I'm always crazy. I wanna, I'm tempted to walk to them after they built out such a beautiful song to say, you know what? You were right. I actually said praise the Lord about ten times. Because you were out of key about ten times. And wonder what they'll say. You know what they'll do? They'll argue with you. You know why? Because they didn't mean it. They were trying to feed their ego. So thinking less of yourself than what God says you are is actually a form of pride. What is humility then? Humility is when you submit yourself to God's accurate description of who you are in Him. If God says you are the head, you walk as the head. If God says you are above only, you walk as above only. If God says no weapon formed against you shall prosper, you walk as no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And it is not pride, you're just walking who God says you are. Amen. Let's go to Numbers. Let's go to Numbers. Numbers? Hallelujah. Is this helping someone so far? Numbers, chapter number 12, verse 3. The most dangerous form of pride is thinking lowly of yourself. Someone shout, I will not think of myself lower than God's description of me. Someone shout, I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Someone shout, God Almighty lives on the inside of me. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Someone shout, a thousand will fall at my side, 
and 10,000 at my right hand side, but it will not come near me. That's what the Bible says of you. And when you submit yourself in humility, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says in James 4, 6, God gives more grace to the humble. But guess what? He also he resists the proud. He resists the proud. Those that think of themselves lower than who God says they are. See, humility, humility is not you know wearing a long dress uh, to the ankles, a black one, with long sleeves and uh, and uh, no makeup and a duku. You know a duku. Y'all didn't know I spoke Italian, eh? It duku. <laughs> and a duku on your head and, and drive a car from 1947. What are you doing? I'm being humble. No, you're being stupid. <laughs> Humility is simply submitting yourself to God's description and estimation, which is accurate, of who you are. Yeah. And he says a whole lot of great things about who you are. He says you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. He says, greater is he that's on the inside of you than he that is in the world. He says, as Jesus Christ is, so are you in this world. That's how powerful you are. Man, if we taught believers who they are in Christ, there will be less and less and less manipulation in the body of Christ. Because people will just walk in who they are. Do you know what else you are? You are a believer, and that's powerful. He said of believers, you will lay hands on the sick and the sick will recover. You know what that means? That means the sick is not the believer. Because if the believer is the one laying on of your hands, the sick is not the believer. Man, if we understood that, the whole body of Christ will be a mass of soldiers, an army of soldiers doing work for the kingdom rather than a bunch of cheerleaders just cheering on one man of God doing his work. Just an army. Did you know that when God gave you your job in your identity, He didn't give you your job so that you could earn money. God can feed you without your job. That's how you went through all your primary school and high school and university. Man, you weren't working, but God still fed you. The reason He gave you a job is because He wanted to give you a mission field. For you to be who you are in Christ and use some of that power to change people's lives. Man, if you come to the office that I work from Monday to Friday, everyone knows. In fact, they didn't know that I was a pastor. They found out through my lifestyle. But not only that, everyone who has problems comes to me. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I am a believer primarily. When I walk into the building, man, everybody gets happy. Hey, Tafara is in the house. Hey, how you doing? Everybody is happy. You know why? Because I carry an anointing that you also carry. You just have to realize it and start walking in it. Because you're already it. You're not trying to get it. You're already it. All you have to do is realize, wait a minute. I am a believer and start living like one. See, when you realize that you already have the fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you, you start living from that position of who you are. What are you? You are gentle. You are kind. You are patient. You are loving. That's who you are. And if you start living that way from your identity, you're not trying to become gentle. You're already gentle. That's right. You're not a short-tempered 
person. That's a perverted image of who you are. When people cut you in traffic, you don't respond that way. No, no, you don't. That's not who you are. You respond in kindness and goodness and gentleness and meekness. Because that's who you are. And you can't help it but just be yourself. That's your born again identity. Glory. Numbers chapter number 12 verse 3. Before we even read this, who wrote the book of Numbers? Who? Who? I thought it was Solomon. Who? Does everyone agree that it was Moses? Put your hand if you think it was Moses. (laughs) So the whole church agrees it was Moses, right? So Moses is writing about who? Watch what Moses says about himself. Now the man Moses was very humble. (laughs) Okay, I thought that was bad. The man Moses kept, re- kept writing. And what else did he say? He says, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. <laughs> Moses is writing about himself and he says, I'm the most humble. You know why? Because God revealed it to him and he all, all he did was submitted himself to that. Yeah. said, God, if you say I'm the most humble man in all of the earth, then guess what? I didn't hear that. I am. So if God says all your needs are met according to His riches and glory, guess what? They are met. See, there is a problem when you try to determine your identity according to your circumstances. Number one, you're going to have a problem. A huge problem. Because you are not your circumstances. You might be going through what you're going through, but that's not who you are. There's going to be a problem if you try to determine your identity according to the amount of things, accumulation of things around you. See, things are just that. Things. Not your identity. See, I don't care if you drive a a 5 million rand thing or a 50,000 rand thing. It is still just a thing. Someone else, I live in a 16-bedroom thing. And I live in a two-bedroom thing. That's not your identity. That's just a thing. The problem in the church is when we try to use things to determine whether or not we are blessed. See, the blessing has got nothing to do with things. Your identity will produce the things when you learn who you are and know that you are not determined. Your lifestyle is not determined. How you treat people will not be determined by how much they own or they promise to do for you. See, people get caught up in things. Things are just that, things, and should not be prioritized. And let me tell you something else about your 16-bedroom thing. One day when you're out of here, someone else will move into your thing and live in it. Let me tell you something else about your 5 million rand thing. When you check out of here, someone else will drive it and overspeed in it. And probably wreck it. You know why? Because it's just a thing. And when all is said and done, you know what God is going to do with all the things? He's going to burn them. You know why? Because they're just things. So you're going to have a problem if you try to determine your identity with things. It's just things. 
What you should be seeking first is His kingdom. What should be your priority is His kingdom and not things. You know why? Because when your priority is the kingdom, when He adds the things to you, the things will not manipulate and control you. But if your priority is things, the things will have power over you. I was at a Bill Winston uh, breakfast meeting uh, last month, and uh, someone, you know, after uh, uh, Brother Bill, Dr. Bill finished teaching, he said, any questions? And someone lifted up their hand, stood up, and they said, Brother Bill, I have a, uh, a question. Uh, my problem is with this prosperity gospel that we are teaching, you know, t- that people are going to be prosperous and so on and so forth. Um, uh, how can we make sure that they don't uh, chase after the blesser and not the blessings? How can we make sure that they chase after God's face and not his hand? In other words, what uh, uh, God really is and not what God can do for them. And Brother Winston, uh, Winston looked at him and he said one word, tithe. And it was quiet like this in that room. You know why? Because the reason why God instituted you giving him a part of what you earn is not because the church is broke and they need to pay Pastor T. God can pay me without your tithe. It is not because God wants the church to function. No, I used to go to a church several years ago, uh, back home, and I left that church, came into this one, and I no longer tithe in that church. And I heard last week that they even built another auditorium in that church without my tithe. Can you imagine? They're still having church without my tithe. They are crazy. Still doing well without my tithe. You know why? Because when God says, give me a part of what you earn, He's not trying to get something from you. He's trying to keep everything in perspective. Because He doesn't want your money to have you. He wants you to have money and use it as a tool. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 6.21, where your treasure is... There will your heart be also. So God says, give me some of that treasure. Because he knows if you take that treasure and put it in golf clubs. And then that iron, seven iron breaks. Or he knows if you take some of that treasure and put it in your car. And then you go home and say, honey, I don't want you to touch my car. That's you now talking to your wife. You understand, right? You know why? Because that car has them. And God doesn't want... Go with me now to Solomon, Songs of Solomon 3, verse 7. Have you ever read Songs of Solomon? We're going to read it today. Songs of Solomon 3, verse 7. We're going to put things into perspective. Song of Solomon 3, verse 7. And I'm also going to read verse uh, uh, 8. Please, in the King James Bible. King James, KJV. Watch what it says. Behold his bed, which is Solomon's, Three score valiant men about it. So there were 60 soldiers around Solomon's bed. Now, if you don't know anything about Solomon, Solomon was and still is the richest man of all time. No one has ever had as much wealth and money as this dude. Okay? He had a lot of money. But his problem was he put his trust in his money. He put his trust in things that he could do with his wealth. And watch what it says. It says three score valiant men about it of the valiant of Israel. So there were 60 soldiers. Next verse. They all hold swords being expert in war. Every man hath his sword upon his thigh because of what? Because of what? 
See, even the 60 soldiers could not protect Solomon from the fear. Because his heart wasn't right. I don't care how much money you have. If your source is not God, you're going to be fearful. (laughs) Sores in your stomach can't keep a good meal down. Always suspicious about those around you because you're not sure whether they're uh, uh, around you for your money, what you can do for them, and and always suspicious of other businesses. And Man, you're not going to rest. But you know what? We never have a record of David having any soldiers around his bed. You know why? Because he said in Psalms 20 verse 7, Some choose to put their trust in horses and chariots, but I choose to put my trust in the name of the Lord. See, when God instructs you what to do with your things, it's a trust issue. He wants to know that you can trust Him. And your identity is to trust the Lord. That's your true identity. Hallelujah! Let's go now to Matthew chapter number 3. Thank you, Jesus. The way you see yourself in light of your identity will change the way you relate with God. If you're taking down notes, it will change the way you relate with God. You will not approach God in condemnation, fear, inferiority, and guilt when you know who you are in Christ. You will do as the book of Hebrews say, walk into the throne room of grace boldly. Where you can obtain help in times of need. You will walk in boldly, knowing that my identity is the righteousness of God, not what I did. Hallelujah. It will change the way you relate with others. When you know who you are in Christ, love will flow out of you. You know, oh, uh, 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 men and women that don't know how to live together as husband and wife, the only real issue at hand is they don't know who they are in Christ. Because when you start acting the way you are in Christ, guess what? Your marriage is going to be beautiful. The way you treat your wife will change. Because who you are <laughs> is gentle. You're not rough. You're not short-tempered. You won't see that on your identity card. Well, pastor, you know, she must know that me, I'm short-tempered. No, you're not. Your identity does not say that. Yeah, pastor, you know, she must know that me when I forgive, but I don't forget. No, that's not you. You forgive and forget. That's who you are in Christ. Amen? In fact, for you, husband, can I preach to the husbands for like two seconds? For you, husbands, the Bible says for you to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Jesus Christ died for the church. That's what your identity card says. And God will never instruct you to do what you have no ability to do. Did Jesus Christ die for you when you were uh, in the church and uh, uh, fully anointed? In fact, some of you, when Jesus Christ died, you were in the club. He still died for you, right? Did he say, you know, you must, yeah, you must, if you want love from me, You must start treating me better. Did Jesus say that? 
That changes your talk as a husband. That's who you are. Amen? It will change the way you relate with the devil. When you know your identity in Christ, you will not give that fool any time of day. The Bible says he is a defeated fool. He's defeated. Okay? You won't panic when you deal with him. Let's go to Matthew chapter number 3. Matthew chapter number 3, uh, verse 13. Matthew 3, verse 13. Watch what it says. New King James, please. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, uh, and now you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said unto him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, What? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Next chapter. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit. So this is the same story, okay? Y'all know that the chapters in the Bible were only put by about uh, 1,500, just for easy reference. But this is the same story. It's just a continuation. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, what did God just say? He said, This is my beloved Son. And then he came to him and he said, If you are the Son of God. See, that's how the temptation comes. Pastor T gets up, preaches on prosperity. You are prosperous. And as you walk out, if you are prosperous, how come you are uh, 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 owing on your rent? It's got nothing to do with that. I am prosperous. Amen. Amen. If you are that blessed, how come you're struggling to find a wife? It's got nothing to do with that. I am blessed. See, don't, don't let the devil trick you on identity issues using circumstances around you. See, I'm hungry, but that does not change my identity. Saying, if you are the son of God. Yes, I am the son of God. God just told me. And this was a few moments later. See, we think the devil waits two weeks and then he comes. No, this is a few more. He's just been told, I've just been told, I am the son of God, the beloved son of God. And he comes and says, if you are the son of God. Amen. <laughs> He's not messing with you. In fact, the Bible says in Mark chapter number 4, that the enemy comes to torment you or he comes to bring persecution for the sake of what? Of the word. So whatever word you receive, the enemy is coming to test you in that arena and in that area. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. What did Jesus say? But he answered and said, it is written. He went back to the identity card. Can you see that? If you are blessed, hey, 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 devil, it is written. See, the devil is trying to pull you into circumstances, pull him back to what was written. Don't let him use circumstances on you. Because he's going to say, oh, well, if God meets all your needs according to his riches and glory, how come this is owing? It is written. See, because what's written is more, has more value than what I'm going through. 
the identity card says man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god and you think he's done right next verse then the devil took him up into the holy city set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him but devil i just told you i am the son of god right and he came back yeah, some of you make a decision when a powerful message is preached on generosity. Ah, and then you get a goosebump. You say, this month I'm going to tithe and I'm going to give. And then, you know, it comes next month. See, because the devil doesn't give up on one answer. Next month. See, because this thing has to become a lifestyle, not an event. You know, just a goosebump. Ah, you know, I'm powerful. And then, no, it has to be shift and start uh, 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 becoming a part of who you are, your DNA. It has to become your lifestyle. You know, we're just not uh, preaching quick fixes here. This is who you are permanently. It's an inherent characteristic of who you are on your identity. You are a generous person. And you listen to God concerning your material gains. When, when, when Abraham had only one son, only one son, one son, God came to him and he said, I want, I want that one son. Give him to me. Give him to me. See, because God is more concerned about your heart, the heart issue. See, some of you are going through so much right now, and all you have to do is to become familiar with who you are on your identity card and start living that way. And you, man, you'll get rid of most of the problems you're going through. See, because if you don't know who you are, man, if we give you the amount of money that Bill Gates has, in fact, let's not even go far. If we give you the amount of money that your neighbor on your row in this church has, some of you will not be in church next week. <laughs> if we gave you the car that your neighbor in this church, in this row, is driving, some of you, if we gave you some of the cars that these people drive, and they drive nice cars, we won't see you next week in church. So your heart needs to be circumcised. Because you trip up over a Mercedes C-Class. We're not even talking Bill Gates, man. Some of you C-Class, child, we won't see. We won't see you in church. Amen. So, so God wants to fix your heart. See, so that when the E-Class is taken away, when they repossess it, you know, something terrible happens, your identity does not change. You won't kill yourself. You heard of that billionaire who was on 12 billion and moved to 2 billion and committed suicide? 2 billion. Man, give me that 2 billion. <laughs> and I won't commit any suicide. Eh? But his heart was in his money. His identity was determined by the paper. Don't let that be you. Amen? In closing, let's go to First uh, Samuel. So Jesus answered him. Oh, we need to read Jesus' response. He said... Uh, uh, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and their hands and they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. So Jesus fought back with scripture. Amen. In closing now, let's go to Second Samuel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Second Samuel, chapter number 
In fact, let's just go to chapter number 9 because of time. Now, in chapter number 4, uh, we hear of the story of a gentleman called uh, Mephibosheth. Now, Mephibosheth was an interesting guy in the sense that he was uh, a son of Jonathan and uh, he was lame in his feet. And the reason why he was lame was because the maid was running away from David, supposedly running with Mephibosheth because they had been told uh, from such a tender age that David was the one who was attacking the people. Amen. The same way you and I had been running away from God because from such a tender age we were told that it was God who was bringing sickness on people. How many of you know that it is not God? We were told it was God who was bringing poverty on people to try and teach them a lesson. So they were running from the very uh, a person who is trying to save them. And then they got lame, he dropped the child Mephibosheth and he got lame in his feet. Now in verse 9, but prior to that Jonathan had gotten into a covenant with David which is the covenant that Jesus and the Father went into. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter number 8 verse 9 For we know by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich he became poor so that you might become rich. Deuteronomy 8, 18, it says that uh, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he who has given you the power to create wealth, so that he may establish the covenant which is swore with your forefathers. So the covenant wasn't even between you and God. So it's got nothing to do with you. Your blessing has got nothing to do with you. So you need to get out of the performance determined arena into the grace determined arena. Amen. It's something that's got nothing to do with you. All you have to do is receive it by faith and put in corresponding action. Amen. So here's what David said. Uh, 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 let's go to Second Samuel chapter number 9, verse 1. We're going to do it quickly. Now David said, Is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I might show him uh, kindness for Jonathan's sake? Notice it wasn't even for their sake. It's for Jesus' sake. Amen. God is blessing you for Jesus' sake. Not for your sake, not because of how good you've been, because He knows you ain't been that good. Amen. Watch what He says, next verse. And there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. So when they had called him to David, uh, and King David said to him, Are you Ziba? He said at your service. Next verse. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness uh, of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. Next verse. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Maki, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar means a dry place. He is in the wilderness. I mean, this dude had uh, a, a double stroke against him. The dude was in a wilderness and he was lame in both feet. Next verse. The king sent and brought him out. Uh, of the house of Maki to the son of Amiel from Lodeba. Just like God took you out of your wilderness. We sing songs about it. He took us from a miry clay into a solid ground. Amen. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said unto him, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Here is your servant. Next verse. So David said unto him, Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan or for Jesus' sake uh, uh, or your father's sake and will restore you to all the land of Saul, your grandfather. 
and you shall eat bread at my table continually. I'm going very fast now. Remember, he sets a table uh, for you in the presence of your enemies. He's not only setting a table, he's coming to eat with you. Amen. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? Dude. This is how some pastors preach. You know, we just dead dogs going before God and God is saying, No, you are royalty. You are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood. People that I have called after my name. It's not humility when you call yourself a dog in the presence of the Lord. And watch, God didn't even respond to this. Next verse. And the king called Ziba. He didn't even say anything about the dog thing. He said, man. It's crazy. You'd imagine God saying, yeah, since you are a dog. He didn't say that. You know why? Because you're not a dog. And the king called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said unto him, I've given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and all of his house. He transferred it immediately. How many of you know that we have everything, everything that pertains to life and godliness? Philemon 6 says all things are already on the inside of us. Everything that belongs to God, he has already given to you. Next verse. You, you therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him. And not only did he give us the land, he also gave us angels to help us work the land. Because he knows you are lame. You can't even do anything. And guess what? He's going to give you angels so that they can do the work for you. Man, I want to keep reading, but it gets deeper. We're going to deal with this next week. Amen? Why don't you stand on your feet? I'm out of time.